action-adventure, platforming, comedy, fun, classic. These are a few words that would describe Jack and Daxter, the precursor legacy, a game that for many needs no introduction. We are Reflections on Gaming, and you've caught us in the middle of, ta of taking a deep dive into the Jack and Daxter series, where we analyze each game for its gameplay, story, art, sound, and so much more, to get at why the series was, and still is, so beloved. In fact, this episode, this is episode two of our deep dive into Jack and Daxter the Precursor Legacy. If you'd like to be in the loop on this podcast, we suggest listening to our previous podcast. If you already have, or just don't care, then welcome to part two of our discussion. Last week, we went over the game as a whole in terms of gameplay, aesthetic, sound, and writing, as well as touching on some of the characters and even some of the issues we have with the game. After that, we discussed the opening cutscene, the tutorial area, and finally ended after briefly touching on Sandover Village, the very first hub area of the game. Today, we will continue our journey, delving as deeply into each area as we think possible, and we hope you enjoy the ride. I'm Jordan. And I'm Weston. So, to launch off today's discussion, we're going to hop right into the very next area in the game. Uh, well... The very next area we're going to talk about, as from this very first hub, uh, Sandover Village hub area, uh, there's three different places you can go. However, Sentinel Beach is one of the most obvious kind of first places to go. Um, you're kind of naturally led there. There's quite a number of precursor orbs that lead you out of the village into this area, and it is a very good place to be for beginners. As soon as you go into the area, you are you encounter a couple of orbs of blue eco that will kind of let you go quickly into the area and from there you are on this beach there's a giant cannon shooting at you and there's a bunch of different directions you can you can kind of go um i really like this little area uh because there's metal kind of things spread out all over the beach and it teaches you a little bit that the that a lot of the enemies you know if you can get down their attack patterns, you can actually use them to your advantage. Because as the cannon is shooting at you, you can't actually break these metal boxes on the beach. You can try and punch them, you can try and ground pound into them, you can try and twirl attack them, and, and nothing's going to work. Nothing's actually going to break them. Um, but there's a cannon that's shooting at you, and it shoots wherever you are with kind of a little delay. Um, and these explosives that they, that they shoot at you will land on the ground, and you'll have about three seconds before they explode and and take away um, a heart worth of your health. But if you move quickly enough, they'll blow up kind of the metal uh, boxes on this beach, which are all filled with like four or five precursor orbs. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of nice. I think I think it's pretty solid that from the very beginning, as you enter the beach, you can hear this cannon going off and you're immediately like, what is that? I kind of want to go check that out and it's a nice way to kind of lead you essentially into like the center of this level do a little activity right there to get some precursor orbs and then you have like three different paths that you can follow from kind of that central area to go find some different power cells so there's almost like this little hub within the level itself um, that it automatically just kind of leads you into which i think is really nice well i think it's also good um last time we kind of discussed how 
a good game uses its collectibles to lead you to places. And in this area, it uses its collectibles because those metal boxes break into several precursor orbs to train you in how to understand um, how to look at a level. Uh, when you're looking at a level, there's a certain amount of exploration and kind of experimentation that you often need to do to accomplish your goals. Because these metal boxes, the only way to break them, as previously stated, is these bombs. But if you're the kind of person that gets freaked out by the cannon fire and is like, oh, I'm getting out of here because there's an enemy firing at me, you will not discover that. And you probably won't know what those metal boxes are or how to deal with them because you're trying to run away from the cannon fire. If you're lucky, one of them may happen to break open a crate and you'll learn, you know, pretty quickly that, oh, oh, I see. You know, you break it open with the cannon and, you know, it's not going to blow up right when it hits me. But it takes the player to kind of slow down and take the initiative to ensure that that happens. Once all the metal crates have been destroyed, not only do you get a whole bunch of precursor orbs, but a um, power cell actually breaks out of the last one and uh, ends up behind an enemy for you to take. So the game's kind of showing you in a very leisurely, uh, or rather a, a very easy way, um, that if you're willing to explore and test things out a little bit and not just immediately run away from enemies, that good things might happen. At the same time, on that beach, there's another power cell that's just kind of there for you to take. But once you get close enough, you activate a trigger, and this giant pelican comes and eats it. Uh, and at this point, Daxter says, hey, that guy just stole our power cell. Let's go beat it out of him. Uh, and you see where he lands, and it's kind of the game pushing you towards a, here's the next precursor orb that you can take if you want to. Uh, so this first level, while it's not the tutorial level, uh, it is, in a way, teaching you kind of how the game works in that there's a whole bunch of different things in a level that you can do to obtain power cells, and it's up to you to explore and experiment to figure out how to get those power cells. Yeah, while we're on the subject of um, of kind of being led from one point to another and how collectibles lead a person on a level, I think the pelican is actually a really good example because... You know, naturally as a player, especially if it's the first time playing a game, a pelican comes, steals your power cell. You're naturally like, OK, well, I'm going to go. try. I'm going to go try to get the power cell, which is fine. Um, you can go jump off onto the get onto the island where the pelican has settled down. You hit it. The power cell flies out of its beak and you can go run and grab it. And there's a slight time limit because the pelican will try to swoop down and grab it. But it's not, you know not that hard to just outrun it go down onto the beach go up and and grab it it's not a big deal but on the rock by the pelican that you'll probably notice when you get up there is this um sealed what, what appears to be a sealed vent of the same eco that you got during the tutorial level um on geyser rock which had a blue eco vent so you kind of already know like oh hey there's now I know that there's a blue eco vent here and you kind of see pads that are blue color with a lightning bolt on them in a different part of the level. And so it's pretty easy to put two and two together and be like, OK, 
well, I need to come back here later once this blue eco is is accessible. I don't know how I'm going to do like what will open that up. But when it's done, I can come back here, get this and go jump up to that cannon up there. But if the pelican weren't there, frankly, I don't know how many people would have found that vent or kind of made that connection because it is pretty out of the way. Um, you know, unless you're a lot uh, unless you enjoy exploring, if it weren't for that pelican power cell, it might be a lot more difficult to find that vent in the first place and make a mental note of like, OK, I need to come back here when I have the opportunity, which I think is a another good example of kind of being led to to the in the right direction to find new secrets. It's also a good way for the game to kind of uh, make the levels interconnected uh, in a real way. A lot of times games, especially platforming games, every level is kind of its own thing, you know, and you don't really think of the world you're in as a real world. It's kind of just a container for the levels you're playing in. But in Jack and Daxter, this is a real world that you're living in. And so showing this vent and showing these pads, and especially if you go here first, you'll see that and be like, oh, what's that and what's it doing there? You might search around the level trying to figure out what to do with it and never find anything. But in a later level, you'll open up uh, access to that vent just through naturally going through the level. And then it'll click and you're like, ah, okay, I see this world different levels have things that will affect other levels and so i need to make sure that you know i'm really exploring and doing everything i can to to open up that access now one thing that is i don't know hit or miss depending on who you ask they might like it uh other people might hate it there are precursor orbs underneath the water and behind a waterfall surrounding that rock that the pelican is on uh, personally, I'm not a big fan um, because they are slightly difficult to see and they are extremely tedious to pick up, but they're not out of the way uh, and they do kind of lead you to, hey, there's stuff on the other shore that you can go to. It's also a little helpful because if you experimented in the water previously, a giant lurker shark would come after you and if you stayed in the water for too long it would kill you in one hit yeah i think um i mean i can understand that that complaint for sure because it is tedious i think they could have cut down on the number that were under the water but i think it was good that they put them there in the first place because it does two things for the player right it one coaxes you coaxes you into the water and says hey you can go here you can swim which you know Sometimes it's kind of hit or miss in, in certain games. And it says you can dive in the in the water, which is important to know for for later levels to complete some of the to actually get power cells and not just precursor orbs. So I think it's an important kind of little training moment that maybe they could even could have even included in the tutorial itself. But if they're not going to, you know, this is an OK time to introduce it, but they probably should have just cut down and done like two spots where they are uh, were under the water instead of four spots all around the island so you have to swim around and it does take a little more time and it's just kind of boring yeah but luckily it's not that bad it only takes a couple of seconds but on the other side um if you decide to chase the pelican it takes you to kind of the the inside of the level which is a higher tier uh, mostly grass there's a couple of very minor enemies uh that you can 
deal with, uh, and it's kind of the half of the level that has more story-focused power cells with it. Um, there's a giant egg on top of a cliff, which if you spoke with all the villagers, you know that a bird watcher uh, woman wants you to knock it off the cliff for her. There's some green eco vents, which is um, the first thing that Samos the Sage, uh, kind of your mentor, tells you to take care of before you leave his hut at the very beginning of the game after the tutorial. Um, and these two things, along with the pelican um, firing the power cell there, if you smack it, uh, is a good area to kind of get your legs on how to just move Jack around, how to do combat with live enemies that are moving. Uh, it's very safe space, especially if you do Samos's um, uh, clearing the green eco vents, because touching any of the vents completely heals you. So you can go get smacked by a dog um, up to three times, go to an eco vent, and be fully healed. Uh, so it's a pretty it's a it's a pretty safe spot for you to deal with actual enemies as opposed to the scarecrows in the tutorial area but then it ramps up the difficulty because to get to the giant egg um, on top of the little mountain you have narrow paths that you have to walk through you have jumps that you have to make and you have enemies at the end of jumps uh, and this you know none of the jumps are difficult none of the narrow bridges are are difficult to navigate but it's forcing you as a player to get accustomed to navigating the levels and dealing with enemies and placements that aren't just on a level playing field and it's a really good way to without kind of seeming like it being a training ground for the player uh and preparing you for the next levels of difficulty as the game progresses because the game will not remain as easy as these uh as these trials so far yeah two things actually about the flut flut egg um that i wanted to mention first is kind of piggybacking off what you said about kind of the world being interconnected is that this flut flut egg for a large portion of the game if you don't do this quest it's not really that big of a deal it's not going to impact anything but as you get into the late stages of the game, there are actually a couple of opportunities that you have to ride this flut flut that you don't have if you don't do this mission. So something you did really early in the game in what is most likely the very first real level you play in plays through the entire game and affects and affects one of probably the very last level that you're going to play in the game, uh, which I think is pretty cool. The other thing is that I'm kind of torn on whether I think this is a good thing or a bad thing. On my most recent playthrough, I didn't talk to the bird lady in the village before I did this. I went up and I hit the flut flut egg off the cliff. It fell down and it cracked open. And all of a sudden, the bird lady is there and Daxter is talking as if we had talked to her and already knew exactly what was going on. Now, I understand it's an old, very, very early generation PS2 game. But I think I might have liked for Jack to hit the egg off the cliff. It falls down and cracks and Dax are being like, oh, crap, we just smacked that egg open. Maybe we should go to the village and ask around and see if anybody knows anything about this thing so that if there's something inside, it doesn't die. Like we can get someone to come take care of it rather than it just automatically going to the cutscene 
assuming that you had talked to the bird lady. Um, but I think that issue is more of an issue of um, the fact that we have played this game so much because the the before you go into any of the levels, Samos does suggest and Daxter reinforces, hey, you should talk to the villagers because they might have power cells that they can give you. And so the game is encouraging you to talk to everyone before you go out. And if you follow that, then it's not going to be confusing. But it is true that a lot of people are a little impatient and not interested in talking to everyone. Um, so it would be nice if there was a difference. But I think it's such a minor thing. It's not too big of a deal. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I just thought it would have been kind of funny. I thought it was kind of funny. I'm just like, oh, I forgot this lady was even a thing because it had been a while since I played. Um, anywho, one other power cell that I that I really enjoy in the beach um, that I think is a nice way of, uh, I don't know, just showing kind of environmental effects on, on different things is that you can go down... Um, on basically the very, very far end of the level from, from the entrance, you'll find another stretch of beach that has some old kind of structures on it that are the actual, what are called sentinels. And they're just statues. They're just stone structures. But on There's, the structures... They really are just kind of stone structures. They're just kind of there. They don't look like anything. They've got steps that lead to nowhere. They're just kind of there. Yeah, they're just chilling there. But... On each of these sentinels, there's kind of it's it's like a flat stone pavement that goes into the stairs on each kind of these slats of, of stone there. The one closest to you, there's a bunch of seagulls on it. And as soon as you get close to them, uh, Daxter will just like scream and he's just like, hey, there's a bunch of seagulls right there. Let's go like rile them up. And you're like, OK, sure. Why not? So you get close to them and Daxter is like, fly, fly, seagulls, go. And they'll fly to the next slat. You do it again. He screams again, scaring them. And you finally get to the third one and he screams and they all fly away. And suddenly camera control is taken away from you and it pans up and it shows all the seagulls flying by the waterfall at the top of the level and causing a rock slide, after which a couple rocks fall down onto the train, creating a new platform and a power cell falls out of the waterfall onto the uh, the new rock that was the new rock platform that was created, uh, which as a kid totally blow, blew my mind. I was like, whoa, that's so cool. Like, I didn't actually even know anything was going to happen. Um, but just by interacting with these entities in the world that I can't even talk with, I can't even hit. I just get close to them. And Daxter kind of reinforces the fact that I should keep chasing them. I was rewarded with a power cell. So I really like that one. I thought that was a, a neat power cell in the first level. I think it's a little funny um, that there's actually two power cells there. There's one just on top of the steps and another one for chasing the birds. And I just think it's funny because it's like <laughs> later on in the game, you're going to wish that you could just walk up some steps and grab a power cell. It is never that easy <laughs> ever again. Yeah, um, no. But this is really the first level that you go to. There's uh, a power cell for breaking all the metal boxes, which is pretty easy. Uh, there's a power cell for beating up the pelican. 
and racing it to the shore, which if you know what you're doing and, and have good control, very easy. Uh, so it's essentially a skill check in just you understand how to play the game and use the controls. There's a power cell for chasing the birds away. Uh, super easy. Power cell for going upstairs, which I suppose you could say is a skill check that you can jump and move forward, but that eh, might be a bit of a stretch. I think the tutorial uh, did that. There is there's a power cell for breaking open the green eco vents, a power cell for uh, knocking the flut flut egg off of the cliff. Uh, there's a power cell for getting on top of the uh, where the cannon is firing and of course there's a power cell for getting all seven scout flies uh, the only difficult uh, power cells to get in this level would be maybe the pelican maybe I mean in this level it's the hard it's it's one of the harder ones uh, getting the flut flut egg down just because there's some tricky quote-unquote tricky platforming uh, and getting to the cannon and that's mostly difficult because if you are kind of following the game's lead the first time you visit the level it is impossible to get there the only way to get there is to have the blue eco vent open and use the blue jump pads um, to to get there and then kill the enemies on top so this really is um, a very simple introduction area just to kind of dip your toes into how the game really plays and teaching you, hey, search things out, figure things out, you know, experiment, fig no, um, make sure you understand the layout of the level in case you need to get somewhere quickly, which does come up again um, a couple of times. Uh, it teaches you about eco vents, uh, and they come up quite often after this. And and really, you know, this level, while it's not technically the tutorial, does a great job of really introducing you to how to play the game. Uh, and uh, it's definitely a fun level. However, I do have one complaint, and that is, it always bugs me when I play a game, and they they take you into the first level. And certain portions of it you just can't do and they're like oh I guess you'll have to come back and do that later and I'm like but I don't want to do it later I want to do it now like I came here first so I could complete things and it's mostly because I'm a little OCD and I, I really like seeing all the numbers even out uh, but it's also a little annoying that you'll spend you know half an hour 45 minutes in an area cleaning everything out and then be like, oh, well, you can't accomplish this yet. So go somewhere else, spend, you know, 40, 50 minutes there. And then if you got the thing opened, come back and spend an extra 15 minutes here cleaning up the level for the things you missed. Yeah, no, it I, is not. I, I agree with that, especially um, in this case. It's really interesting. Uh, while we were doing research for this episode, I never found this in any of the playthroughs I ever did, and I never even heard about it. But if you did happen to have the blue eco event already open, you don't even have to race the pelican because you can take, you can get charged up with blue eco, go up to the cannon and just shoot it and you can just kill it and get the power cell that way, which I think is a really great way to show that not every power, like, I don't know that there are sometimes multiple paths to accomplish um, your goals, but 
frankly, because it pushes you that way to begin with, it, it kind of encourages you to go to that level first. The odds that you're ever going to figure that out because the Blue Week event isn't open and you're most likely just going to race the Pelican and get it anyway is is really low. So you, it kind of negates that factor of maybe finding a different way to to solve the level which i think could have been a, a pretty solid uh introduction to that idea well it's a it's a very minor complaint on my end and there's plenty of games that you know kind of have this piecemeal mentality in their levels and they're fantastic games i just i really like the idea of being able to go in somewhere and if you have the right skills taking care of it this idea of having to go backwards um, potentially comes up several times in the game, but only has to come up one more time. Uh, but unfortunately, the one more time that it does come up is really obnoxious. Uh, but anyway, that's Sando or uh, that's Sentinel Beach, uh, and I think that that covers everything pretty well. It's got 150 precursor orbs. All of them are laid out very well uh, and pretty easy to find and access locations. Um, the only place that might be a little tricky to figure out is there's a cave and in this cave there are pillars uh, and you can knock these pillars up so that you can get access to additional precursor orbs as well as a scout fly by performing a special move which is if you punch forward and immediately press x at the end of your punch you'll jump upwards and punch upwards and this is the only way that i have found to be able to raise those uh, and as stated previously, the actual tutorial of the game doesn't teach you these special moves. So you'd really need the manual or uh, be a very explorative person to figure this out. Uh, I like the idea of being able to punch these up because it shows you that certain elements in a level um, you can kind of mess with. But the fact that it requires a move that isn't taught to you... Um, probably not the best thing i will say i didn't even know you could do the move that way because i've always done it just crouch and then hitting square to punch upwards which is a little bit more reasonable to expect people to uh try out since they've taught you how to crouch jump at this point but i i agree that it is not you know unless you're familiar with that kind of idea in a game most people probably aren't just going to be like oh yeah i can probably punch these with a different move than the ones that i've uh, you know been pretty clearly shown how to do yeah that's that's hilarious i didn't know you could do that <laughs> i didn't know that you could crouch and punch straight upwards i only knew how to do it by uh, punching and pressing x wow uh, but that is uh sentinel beach it's a great introduction to the game uh and the next place you can go and the next place you have to go um there's only two areas that are open to you in the beginning, Sentinel Beach and Forbidden Jungle. The third area that is available from the hub of Sandover Village is Misty Island, but is locked out to you until you go to Forbidden Jungle and accomplish a single specific task. Uh, and we'll talk about that. But Forbidden Jungle is generally not the first area that you're pushed to. You are told about it, by the mayor uh, if you speak to him he'll say hey uh, I've got the the energy system for the village comes to my house and, and moves the windmill well unfortunately it's not coming in anymore from the from where it's supposed to so can you go to that level and check it out um, I think 
most people do not go to Forbidden Jungle first. I do every time because I played the game. I know that that's where you unlock Misty Island and the Blue Eco Vents. And so that I can just clear out the levels, I always go there first. But most people will, will go there second. And it's probably good because this level is significantly more difficult than the first one. Um, not just in terms of moving around where, you know, the bridges are broken uh, and there's just a lot of things you have to deal with to avoid getting damaged. There's also like twice as many enemies in the level. Um, they all take different strategies to deal with. Uh, for example, in the first level, there was two enemy types. There were sand dragons. Okay, three enemy types. Sand dragons, little dog thingies with spikes on them, and lurkers. And crabs. There's only... And crabs? Yeah, the crabs, really? they pop oh. up out of their shells and go snip, 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 and you have to wait for them to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about them. Well, they're they're so easy, yeah. it's not even a big you deal. run past them, yeah. But every single one of these enemies can be killed by punching them or spin-kicking them. There is no special move or anything that you need to do. It's, it's, very, it's very easy. In the jungle, there are snakes that drop down, and the only way to kill them is either to punch them from below by doing the spinning uppercut or by jumping and doing a spin-kick. Not super difficult, but different, and it, it elevates the difficulty of it by requiring two inputs, uh, which I think is good. It's good to expect that the player will become more and more competent with the game uh, as it continues. But there's tons of those guys. There's tons of lurkers. There's a bunch of fish in the rivers that will bite you. Um, so you either need to avoid them completely or punch them um, before they have the chance. Uh, and there is even a boss le uh, enemy in this level, which we'll get to later. But Forbidden Jungle is really the first kind of skill barrier to the game. There's just a lot of things that will kill you. The game is relatively forgiving in that you have infinite lives and checkpoints are relatively um, numerous. But if you don't have the basic competency of playing the game you will not make it through forbidden jungle yeah uh one other enemy that i think is just worth worth talking about is that there's frogs uh that have spikes in their backs so you have to attack them from the front and if you try and attack from the back you not only won't hurt them you'll take damage yourself which teaches you like yeah you got to think about how you're going to attack every enemy. You can't just attack every single one with a punch from any angle when they're not looking at you. You actually have to get in front of this thing and, and hit it before it's able to hit you. And you have to deal with some risky business. <laughs> yeah. And in terms of, you know, difficulty, in terms of difficulty of the power cells themselves, there's not going to be any power cells that are just sitting out in the open. In fact, there's only one in this uh, area out of the eight that you don't have to do a specific task or do a significant platforming to get to. And even it is is hidden out of the way and you have to fight a couple of piranhas to to get to it. Um, so, yeah, cl clearly not where players were intended to go first. Um, they really, you know, relatively and comparatively ramp up the difficulty 
for this one to really test like, okay, you did the tutorial, you did Sentinel Beach. Now, do you really know what you're doing? And can you beat all these enemies? Can you do some harder platforming? And can you beat a boss? You know, it's it's really getting into that skill check uh, territory to prove that you're ready for the rest of the game and to prove that you're ready for Misty Island, which is by far the hardest uh, of these areas that we'll get to later. Yeah, so you enter the level, um, and the first thing you'll see is a large cliff and a beach. If you go around the beach, um, you'll find a couple of precursor orbs and a scout fly, but that's it. You have to go up, scale this little cliff to get into the level proper. From there, there's a bridge with broken slats, and if you can't get across the broken slats, you fall down, have to try again, but no damage. It's very... Uh, simplistic skill check but a skill check nonetheless from there you have kind of a gauntlet looking area uh and you might assume especially if you went to sentinel beach first that oh if i get past these swinging um uh beams with spikes on them these enemies and these uh spike traps there should be a precursor orb well you get there there is no precursor orb Instead, there is just this thing in the ground that you can't do anything with. Luckily, there is a scout fly and a bunch of precursor orbs, so you can pick those up. But the game is telling you, yeah, there's no more easy precursor orbs. You're going to have to work for these. Power cells. So If we ever mess that up, just, they're confusing. We get confused. It's fine. <laughs> Because power cells disappear off the after the first game. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so uh, there's no more easy power cells. Uh, from there, there's a couple of places you can go, but really only one area that the game is going to push you to, uh, which is to another bridge, which all you have to do to get there is jump across a little river with some piranhas in it. You go across there, and now there's a big, long bridge, with which, again, has a bunch of broken slats in it. And the, the nice thing here is that whether you succeed in crossing the bridge or not, it brings you closer to a precursor orb. If you make it across the bridge, you'll see uh, a, a couple of different areas that you can go to that you're very unlikely to fall off of. You know, it's just all one contiguous piece of rock, uh, and it's letting you see, hey, there's a bunch of stuff uh, here that you can do. Uh, one of the areas has a bunch of lurkers, so it's kind of a combat arena, uh, and one of the areas has a couple of swinging beams. If you go to the swinging beams, uh, there's a, a couple of scout flies that you can take, as well as some crates for health. If you go against the lurkers, you'll kill them, you'll pick up a piece of blue eco, and then you'll see that a new bridge will form in front of you. This bridge takes you to this precursor-looking tower. It's super cool, and it's probably going to be one of the first places you go to. Once you're there, um, you will see that you'll need blue eco to activate these levitating platforms to continue your journey. Depending on uh, how much you explore, you'll also find a little launch pad that will take you to yet another um, scout fly, which is really nice. Or it will take you and keep going up to the top of this tower. Once you reach the top, there's a power cell there waiting for you. When you take the power cell, immediately the game grounds you, preventing you from being able to jump. 
and activates a switch that takes you down into the center of this tower, the center of this structure. Once in there, there are two doors that lock your progress and only one location that you can go in. You go in this location, you see, hey, here's a jump pad that I can't use. Uh, here's all this stuff going on. There's a couple of enemies. There's a couple of platforming challenges. You make it past there, and now suddenly there's a precursor orb on top of this giant structure that's got a bunch of blue stuff on it. And you're like, I don't know what that is, but I know I want that power cell. So you go, you get the power cell, and immediately after getting the power cell, you activate the switch. And it shows that this switch is what activates the blue eco vents in the entire world, not just the level you're in. Uh, and there's even some dialogue that pops up. They're like, oh, that explains why all those eco vents were closed off. I'm not sure <laughs> if it's really believable that there's just one giant switch that activates eco vents in the entire world, but I could believe it's in the region. Yeah, I like these. Um, both the two power cells you just talked about, I think, are are really solid. One, the one at the top, you know, old graphics. There's, it's not 100% clear that the thing on top of the tower is a button that activates an elevator. So I think it's really solid that they put a power cell right there. And as soon as you get it, you don't have a choice. It just activates the button. And you know from then on, oh, okay, if I ever see anything like this ever again, it's a button and it's an elevator and it'll take me to somewhere new. Because obviously I would be pretty frustrated if I got to the top of this tower and there was just a power cell there and I'm like, oh, cool. And I thought that that button was actually just a decor. You know, it was just, oh, that's like, the top of the tower and it's you know the little peak at the top of the tower jumped off left got confused couldn't find the power cell looked up a walkthrough or what or called the hotline whatever at the you know when this game came out and found out like oh cool now i have to scale the entire tower again and now i know that that's a button so i think that's really uh solid game design right there that it just tells you exactly what it is it doesn't even have to tell you it just shows you by by making it impossible for you to not do it um and also showing you you know putting putting the power cell on top of that switch i don't know you know i think most people would probably want to stand on it anyway but whatever it's a collectible it leads you where you need to go and sets you up for success for for the rest of the game you know opens up all those all those blue eco vents so i think both of those are pretty solid it also shows you that sometimes to get the precursor orbs you'll have or the power cells you'll have you'll be kind of led on a one-way path um, it doesn't happen all the time or in all the levels but sometimes you have to go in a very specific uh, string of events to pick up several power cells and i think it's just a good teaching moment here to be like there's no real difficult challenges yet but you cannot get out until you pass the challenges after you open the blue eco vents, now those doors that were previously closed, you can open. But the elevator that took you down is still deactivated. You can't use it to go up. So the only way to move is to press forward. After turning a corner through the second door, you'll see a giant plant. And this is the first boss of the game. The boss is pretty easy, um, though you may die a couple of times taking it on just because of uh, poor hit detection and the arena is a bit small 
um, the uh, the boss has two moves that it uses. One is it tries to bite you, and the other is it spawns little bugs, which I don't really understand how a plant is creating bug spawn, but, you know, whatever. It's an evil plant. I'll give it to it. Uh, uh, and the 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 only difficulty with the fight is that the plant's reach is a lot further than you think it is. And even when you're outside of its reach range, it's a little difficult to dodge it because the area that isn't within the plant's reach is so small, you'll be afraid that you're going to fall off and die immediately if you don't really hug close to where the enemy can attack you. It's a minor thing, it's not that big of a deal, and it only takes three hits to kill the boss, but because you have to let it go through its attack phases before you can damage it, uh, is a little annoying. I think after it does you know, just just to interject really quick, I think um you know, as two people who have played this game several times, the fact that it still is kind of annoying um probably isn't great, especially because you know the way that the the way that the boss works is that the first time you get to it it'll try to bite you and it'll send out one of its little plant do plant bug things and it'll the plant bug will send out spikes so you can't attack it for a certain amount of time and then it'll retract the spikes you kill it and then the plant will go to photosynthesize and make little platforms for you to jump up and hit it and then the next time it will release two of the little bug things from either side of the arena um and at that point, because the arena is so small, I, th I, I would say that is a, you know, pretty unfortunate oversight. <laughs> like, I, I don't think it should have been that way. I don't think it should have been so annoying to have to wait for the bugs and jump over them while also not getting too close to the plant, which will bite you. And if you take damage from the bug, it might even launch you. Off, like, it might give you a little bit of knockback off of the platform. And then on the third one, it sends out three from either side and the middle. So you're trying, you have to wait for them to retract their spikes to even attack them. So you have to jump over them while not, and you know, just the angle makes it a little hard to gauge how far back you can go without falling off of the platform. Um, you know, I don't think, I think this is probably the worst designed of all the bosses you do fight in the game, which is unfortunate because it's, it's the first one, which I think should make a, good first impression for for bosses you're going to fight in the game i think the the most unfortunate thing is that of all the bosses in the game i can beat all of them without taking damage except for this one and this one still kills me sometimes like <laughs> it's very difficult um however the design of the boss the gameplay design is poor the art design and story design is fantastic because after you kill the boss, it shrivels up and you can, uh, and a blue eco vent gets uncovered that you can use to use a launch pad to jump up and get out. Uh, and it also gives you a power cell. All great. But on the opposite side of the arena, there are um, tendrils or roots, whatever you want to call them, wrapped around this barrel of dark eco. Now, at this point in the game, you may not know that that barrel is a barrel full of dark eco because you haven't seen that yet. But each level that you go to progressively gets a little darker and a little bit more 
infused with this dark eco because the main antagonist of the game which you don't even know about yet has been working towards messing with the world in this way so i think it's a great um little tidbit of foreshadowing of like why is this um tower suddenly you know locked off and, and has this giant plant in there why did the blue eco vents suddenly shut off why are these things happening well, later on, you'll learn why and having the pieces in place beforehand to be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, uh, I think is really great. Yeah, no, I agree. That is um, I hadn't even thought of, I, don't, I don't think I ever even noticed that dark eco uh, barrel, but that is really solid. But we can't forget the best thing about killing this boss. Which is that after it's dead, you can jump on its head and precursor orbs will pop out of it. And it's a little spring. Well, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say that's the worst part about that's it. That's true. It's not good to hide precursor orbs like that because there's nothing to indicate that you can jump on its head and anything will happen. Well, even worse than that, if you do jump on its head, a single precursor orb pops out, and you might think, "Oh, let me jump up and down and get all the precursor orbs." That doesn't work. You have to jump on its head, pick up the precursor orb, then go and jump on its head again to get another one out. If you jump on it repeatedly, only one ever comes out and there's like four four or five i believe that come out of its mouth so the first time it's kind of cool and it's like oh that's sweet doing it five times is tedious and the fact that it's hidden in the first place it's a little uh, there are times in the past where i forgot that was a thing and ended the level with uh, 196 precursor orbs and i'm like how did i miss four of these things i scoured the level everywhere and then because i need to get that number all the way up i have to play through the entire level again to figure out where i forgot those stupid orbs let me tell you it is aggravating especially in a game that's kind of geared towards that completionist mentality because it shows you the tallies of everything um, and it gives you a, a reward at the end for having everything. Uh, it's it's just like in the tutorial level, there are a couple of precursor orbs that are put in places that do not make sense and are kind of the antithesis of positive game design. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, it's it's not great. I think the, the whole like having to jump on it and it not like accumulating is definitely the most annoying part of part of that. Anyway. After you defeat the plant boss, you can go. You'll be back at the beginning of this temple area. Yeah, temple area. Um, there will be a blue eco vent, and you can actually get it and go back to that launch pad that you saw initially. And not only is the launch pad there, you can go up and get some precursor orbs. You'll notice that um, these little vine whip enemies that had been throughout the whole level are now all withered and, and dead on the floor. Uh, which kind of goes back to what Jordan was saying about, um, you know, this plant. Like, you can see how it infested this whole area. And now that you've killed it, you have a little bit less to worry about, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and from there, you know, you go back out into the level and there's a couple more options for you to, a couple more areas for you to go to. Um, I'm just going to talk about one of my favorite ones. And that is underneath one of the bridges, pretty close to the beginning of the level, um, like Jordan was talking about. Most of these bridges, if you fall down, 
there's not much down there. Maybe a scout fly, maybe a couple of precursor orbs, um, but generally it's not a big deal and you won't find anything truly spectacular. But underneath one of them, you fall down and you'll see this fisherman dude just on his belly looking kind of, well, next to an empty basket, looking at the river on, on this dock that's going across the river, uh, well, on this bridge across the river. So you go onto the bridge and you can talk to him and you find out he's like, hey, if you can catch me 200 pounds of fish, I will give you a power cell and also you can use my boat to go to Misty Island, which is the same boat that they used in the beginning, which uh, they did not have permission to use. But now they're going to get permission. So you have this little mini game where Jack is just laying down on the bridge with a net in the water. And you have to if you have to catch 200 pounds of fish, you can't miss 20 pounds of fish. And there are fish that are obviously infected with dark eco. There are eels that are infected with dark eco. And if you catch a single one of them, you automatically lose the entire thing. And so you just use your analog stick to move the net kind of side to side to catch the little green one pound fishes or these big yellow gold uh, five pound fishes. Um, and I like I personally really like this minigame. The controls are a little floaty and a little annoying because when you push side to side on the net, Jack does not move the net at a constant rate. He'll move it pretty slowly to begin with. And then after about a second of holding it down, he'll move it to the side a lot faster. Um, so if you're moving it back and forth really quickly, it moves at a fairly consistent rate. But if you're trying to do kind of pinpoint adjustments, you might end up moving not quite enough or too far to one side. If you're trying to move from like one far side to three quarters of the way across the bridge to catch a five pounder. Um, so it's not hard. I, I don't want to portray it as like this super difficult minigame that's like, you know, rage quit because you keep you keep losing and you keep catching eels or you keep missing 20 pounds of fish. Like, it's not that hard, um, but it's just one of those, you know, it's just that little gripe of like, you know, why couldn't you just make the controls a little bit more intuitive and just made it move at a, you know, at a more constant rate? Just find that happy medium between how fast it moves when you're trying to move from one side all the way to the other side and how slow it moves when you're just moving it a little bit. And I understand that they probably did that so that it was possible to get from one side of the bridge all the way to the other one. If a five pound fish starts coming down the river and you're on the opposite side of the bridge from where it's coming down. But, you know, that's pretty easy to solve. Just make the fish move slightly slower or just increase the the rate at which you move the net, the default rate at which you move the net. Um, in any case, the minigame is good. And, and when you do finish it, you know, you unlock Misty Island, which is obviously a pretty big uh, accomplishment for you. I think the minigames in general in Jack and Daxter are fairly fun, but I do think it was a mistake for them to lock Misty Island Misty Island behind that minigame because a lot of people do find it very difficult and it seems odd that the most difficult platforming challenge um, up to this point in Misty Island would be locked behind some arbitrary skill check on a minigame that you only play once you have no practice beforehand no lead up to it and you never do again <laughs> like it's not 
terrible and it makes sense within the world it's like hey do something for me and i'll let you use my boat but it is a little odd that it's like hey You've got this warm-up area, you've got this kind of normal area that's really getting you into the swing of things, and now you've got a difficult area. If you want to make it past, you have to you have to play this this mini game. Uh, and I believe you need 20 power cells, um, 25 power cells to power up the zoomer to go to the next hub area. If you get 20 power cells okay so it's 20 power cells for the first one so if you got all four from geyser rock all uh eight from sentinel beach and all eight from forbidden jungle you can make it past without having done misty island which probably not a great thing that you can completely skip an entire level and be able to progress uh but it's probably also good that you're not locked behind um, opening that up, considering how difficult the fishing minigame can be for some people. Um, anyway, long story short, the rest of the level is a kind of one-offs. You've got one power cell that's just at the end of a river, one power cell that you get for destroying this machine, or at least a reflector, on this machine um, to restore power to the village you get a precursor or a power cell for actually redirecting the beam to the village and you get a precursor orb for um, getting all the scout flies there's one more um, in a door and all you have to do to get it is to have some blue eco on you when you get next to the door and there's several locations that have enough blue eco to get you there uh so the rest of the level is kind of one-offs uh all fairly well designed pretty fun and and pretty easy to find um but they are definitely all they they all require more skill than the first level uh so let's talk a little bit about misty island because that is the the third area that you ought to be getting to misty island is one of the hardest levels in the game um i think especially in the beginning it is by far the most difficult but even by the end of the game there are certain precursor orbs uh that you can obtain here that are just tough to get one is locked behind a combat arena uh and because of the way the combat works in this game it can be very easy for you to get killed even if you're playing very well uh and the reason is because if you do the punch attack, which is kind of the attack that, that makes you feel the most powerful, um, there is a delay between when the attack ends and when you can use it again. During this delay, enemies can hit you. The other attack, the spin attack, not only does it wrap around you 360 degrees, giving you good defense, it also either doesn't have that downtime or is so short i never got hit in between it so to beat this uh combat arena you essentially have to run around and just spin kick everyone in the face which isn't terrible but it's not particularly fun and if you're trying to play it in a more fun way of you know using all your attacks it's very easy for you to be overwhelmed and die because when you get hit uh there's a slight knockback knockback effect 
uh, and this knockback effect can push you into other enemies, which you have invincibility frames after you get hit. You flash for a little bit, but you can't attack before your iframes run out. So if you happen to be touching an enemy, rather than being able to attack them, you're going to get hit again. And since this is a combat arena where dozens and dozens of enemies are coming at you all at the same time, it's very easy th for things to go downhill very quickly. Yeah, the, the combat arena is, you know, it's, it, it is fun, right? Like, it is the most, it, it is the biggest skill check of your ability to fight enemies and kind of maneuver around a level. Um, and, and that can be fun, but it is pretty frustrating as well um, because of the things Jordan talked about. And especially because Misty Island actually introduces the very first normal enemy that requires more than one hit uh, to kill. There are these really big, um, I don't know what they're called, but there's really big brutes. Yeah, there's really big brute, brute lurkers um, that wield clubs and wear kind of like skull hats. And to beat them, you have to hit them once without getting hit by their constantly swinging clubs, after which their skull hat will kind of pop off their head and flip around and land on them again, kind of blinding them. Um, and it opens, you know, it's pretty easy to hit them the second time. But if you don't manage to hit them the second time before they're able to get the thing back off of their head, they can put it back on and then you have to hit them twice again. They, they have regenerating health, essentially, if you don't uh, kill them fast enough. That is, unless you're using the type of eco, the second to last type of eco, red eco, that is introduced in this level, which I really like, is that during this um, arena battle, correct me if I'm wrong, every once in a while... Red eco, little red eco blobs will um, will drop in the arena that you can pick up, which make your attacks significantly stronger. So you can kind of mow through enemies. It totally gets rid of any knockback from hitting enemies, and you can hit uh, these brutes only one time and take them out. So while the arena is difficult and it can be kind of annoying because of all the things Jordan said. It's a pretty cool way to kind of try out the red eco because it makes you feel really powerful and it gives you a lot of enemies to to use the red eco on and to learn how it works uh, against them. Yeah, it's it's not terrible. It is fun, but it is one of the more difficult things in the entire game. Uh, there's also an area very, in the very beginning where you have to chase this little yellow ferret thing around called a muse. Uh, and the difficulty here is you just have to have very good maneuvering to be able to get it. Um, some games have this, in fact, Jack and Daxter later on will have this in it, where it doesn't matter how proficient you are at chasing, it matters how long you chase. And just as you continue chasing, you will get closer even if you're not doing particularly well. Uh, this Muse doesn't have that or at least it doesn't have it in a perceivable way. So you just really have to be faster than the Muse, and that can be very difficult. It follows a predictable path, so as long as you're willing to put in the time, you should be able to achieve it. But it's pretty obnoxious that it's so difficult and there's so many things that you have to do. <coughs> Excuse me. 
especially considering there are enemies in the way. There's tar that will slow you down. Uh, there's jumps that it can make that you can't make, so you have to use a different method. Uh, it will jump across these large chasms, and you have to stop, knock over a bone pillar, and keep chasing it, which kind of resets your distance from it. It's not really what I would consider fun. And it's difficult. And it's in one of the first levels of the game. So uh, for for that uh, reason, for the combat re uh, area, and because of the um, zoomer area of this level, I think Misty Island is one of the most difficult areas to deal with. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember when I was younger, there were there were a select few power cells that kept me from getting all 101 in the game. Catching the Muse was one of those because I just, you know, when I was a little kid, I just was not, you know, if I put my brain to to killing a bunch of enemies, I can do it. If I put my brain to chasing something down in a zoomer, I can do it. But maneuvering and jumping and crouch jumping and doing all that to catch the Muse, I I could not do it. I was um I was pretty inept at that kind of stuff as a kid. Um, and obviously coming back, you know, it's it's relatively easy as somebody who's now a little bit more versed in, in video games and does that kind of stuff. But for an but for this t type of game, that kind of chase sequence is very difficult, um, especially like you said, for being in one of the very first levels in the game. Uh, moving on to talk about the zoomer, there, there's two power cells that you get during the zoomer portion of the level, which you you're on a zoomer and you're out kind of over some open water just this enclosed little water area and there are a bunch of lurkers riding balloons uh, that have bombs coming down in front of them and behind them dropping down from the balloon just kind of dangling there so it's not like you can time and kind of get through and, and hit them with the zoomer which is your task is that you have to kill all of them you'll get a power cell if you kill all of them you have to hit them from the side. And not only that, but sometimes they'll go up into the air so it's completely impossible to hit them, and then they'll drop back down. And if you are directly... This actually happened to me because I'm super unlucky. If you happen to be right underneath one, it is impossible to see them until right before they come down. And so if you're directly in front or behind it, if it comes down you will get caught by one of the bombs. And I, I died that way and had to redo the whole thing, which made me pretty angry. Um, the bombs the bombs won't kill you automatically. They just take away your health, but it's pretty easy to get hit a number of times. Yeah. So that was fun. <laughs> that, that one was, was annoying for me just because I had to redo it. Um, but other than that, it also, you know, th this is not a bad uh, little area, especially because you're going to have a lot more difficult of zoomer levels later on. This is a nice little mini introduction where it's not the entire level. It's it's just a portion of the level and it teaches you two different types of power cells for the zoomer. One is hitting enemies and kind of doing a little bit of a chase kind of thing. And the other is actually doing what I'll call zoomer platforming, I guess, where you actually have to direct your zoomer up ramps and off of jumps at the right speed and trajectories to get the precursor orbs and to hit power cells at the uh, exactly where they are. Um, 
It's Zoomer parkour. Yeah, Zoomer parkour. 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 Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, but again, you know, compared to the later Zoomer, Zoomer levels, this one is a piece of cake. You just hit all the lurkers, easy peasy, and you only have to go up a single ramp, kind of stop at the end, make a turn back up a little bit, and then just go, f you know, full throttle forward and jump at the end, and, and you'll get the power cell. Um, significantly easier than later levels, and a pretty nice introduction to Zoomer controls, I think. I'd say the more annoying thing about the Zoomer area is getting all the precursor orbs, because there's several ramps you have to go off of, and some of them you have to jump off of, and others you have to not jump off of to get them all. And uh, it's less of a difficulty and more of a tedious thing. Um, but it's just the controls for the Zoomer is just a little bit floaty. Uh, and whether your jump will give you additional height or not um, sometimes is kind of luck-based. Uh, or at least I haven't been able to find a consistent way to always get the extra height at the end of a jump. So it's more an indication of the difficulties with zoomers overall than the level itself. But the zoomer area does have a really nice overhead section that does not involve the zoomers. You have to go on foot and platform yourself up. And this area is really cool because um, it's just a bunch of bridges that lead you up. And there's kind of these Donkey Kong-esque barrels that come down at you. And they'll come down either rolling or bouncing. And you have to jump over the ones that are rolling and go under the ones that are bouncing. And it's up to you to get that timing and spacing right. Uh, and luckily enough, as difficult as this area is, they give you like a full health restore at least one point at each of these little bridge intersections so as as you get better at it and as you get more competent you can take a couple of hits and get up without being dead and then at the very top there's a bunch of cannons so you get a pre power cell and you get cannons that will let you destroy a couple of uh, metal crates uh, and it's just kind of a nice overview of the entire misty island uh, which is a lot of fun <clears throat> yeah no i really like that one uh and there's just one other kind of incidental uh, other than obviously the scout flies there's just one other kind of one-off uh where you get some uh blue eco and just go up onto one of the uh, just go up onto a platform and kind of get up it's just a little bit of combat nothing not not really that worth talking about compared to some of the other ones in this level um if you do everything in all three of these levels meaning um sentinel beach forbidden jungle and misty island you'll get all eight of the power cells in each of those locations plus the six in sandover village um in sandover and village the four in geyser rock what and the four in geyser rock yeah and the four in geyser rock um sandover village the only other ones that we haven't talked about are hurting the yakows into the pen which we which we mentioned but you get a power cell for that and going to the per precursor robot and giving him 240 precursor orbs in total. 200, 120 each. Yeah. Yep. After that, you can climb up the cliffs right behind the farmer's house. And well, oh, the, the other precursor orbs come from you can give uh, 90 precursor orbs to your uncle for one, 90 precursor orbs to the mayor, I believe, twice. And he gives you two. Uh, and then you return the muse to the sculptor, 
uh, and that's when you actually get the power cell. It's not when you get the muse, it's when you return it. Uh, which is also another annoyance because if you forget you got it for whatever reason and you don't return it, <laughs> then you did all that work for nothing. There was, oh, you, okay, random, random point, but that is so funny that you mentioned that because just today I was on a Reddit thread where somebody was like, I'm having a glitch in the game because I got all 101 and here's the stream so you can like verify it. And some dude went on is like, uh, Actually, you never gave the muse back to the dude, which is why you didn't have 100% completion. <laughs> and he's like, oh, crap, you're right. Um, yeah, pretty easy to forget stuff like that when you when you have to go back and actually interact with somebody, especially when the muse is probably like the first thing you're going to do on Misty Island because it's right at the beginning. And then you'll explore the whole rest of the island and then go back and maybe be excited to move on to the next kind of hub area. Um, I didn't even think about that, but. You're totally right. That's a not not great. Um, I mean, it's just kind of a minor annoyance. Yeah, and I I don't want it to seem like we're um, you know taking taking our frustration out on this game um, in a negative way because the game really is fantastic. Uh, and there's just a couple of things that when you've played it a number of times, you see maybe the balance and maybe the positioning of certain things isn't quite at the level that it ought to be. But nothing, none of the complaints we have are ever so egregious that it makes the game unfun. Uh, at most, it is a minor annoyance. Yeah. So after that, you've done the whole first hub area. You're done with those three levels and with the village. You can climb to the cliffs behind the farmer, the Yakow farmer's house, and now you're into the Fire Canyon, which is your first long-form kind of linear uh, zoomer level. Yeah, and the zoomer levels, uh, there's not that many. I mean, outside of the Misty Island, there's only one other kind of free-form area that you can go to with the zoomer. All the other ones are just kind of these corridor race-style um, levels and one of them actually is a race uh, this this level you could maybe consider a race uh, because if you don't go quickly enough and you don't hit enough uh, freeze balloons you'll explode <laughs> because remember you were getting these precursor orbs because you needed a shield around your zoomer to keep it from overheating well even if you get every single precursor orb Kira still only uses 20 to power the shield, which maybe it would have been nice if that was different, but the level isn't all that difficult to begin with, so I'll give it a pass. But you're going over this um, fire canyon, it's literally lava, and your zoomer is heating up every second that you're in this area. So you have to go quickly enough to get to the end uh, to not literally explode and die. In this level, there's only um, 50 precursor orbs, and they're all pretty easy to get. And there's two power cells. One just for completing it. There just happens to be a power cell on the other side of the canyon. And one for getting seven scout flies as you go through the canyon. The scout flies are a little bit more difficult to get. But if you happen to miss one and you don't want to go back for it, you can just kill yourself. You don't have to get the scout flies in a single run. Every time you obtain one, it's obtained forever. Um, so it's uh, it's pretty forgiving and, and it's pretty easy. And it's a nice little reward, kind of change of pace from everything that you've done up to that point. Yeah, the, uh, these zoomer levels get, get harder, but I, I think this is a great introduction because it teaches you about 
uh, overheating. It shows you kind of the blue floating balloons. There are some enemies. There's just a couple of lurkers that show that you can get air by, by hitting the lurkers. You can you can bank off of them. And it has some precursor stuff sticking out of the lava to show that you can get air off of those and that you won't heat up while you're riding on them. Um, and, it, and obviously it just has some obstacles that you have to maneuver around and it shows you how if you're over lava rocks opposed to just straight up molten lava how those will affect how much heat is going to your zoomer but overall it's it's pretty low stress right it's introducing these concepts to you for later zoomer levels that are going to be substantially more difficult and substantially more pressure on you uh to get things right and and to go fast through the level gotta go fast man gotta go fast gotta go fast <laughs> and with that the the first hub area and all of its um kind of branching levels have been discussed um i didn't realize how in depth we were going to be getting on all these things but uh, i think now is a good time for us to kind of break and uh, we hope that you've enjoyed our uh discussion and deep dive into jack and daxter so far obviously if you have any comments <laughs> <coughs> If you have any comments, concerns, questions, if you want to rant at us, tell us we're entirely wrong and idiots or we're taking too long to get through this, let us know. Uh, we like feedback, even if it's not constructive criticism. You know, anything is something that we can work with. You can send us an email at reflectionsongaming at gmail.com. Uh, you can uh, respond to us on Twitter uh, at reflectionongaming.com. Uh, reflections on gaming was too long so i had to shorten it, it just, just a little just bit at reflect on gaming at reflect on game yeah there you go uh yeah and you can also respond to uh youtube comments or uh i don't know if there's i don't know if you can comment on podcasts but if you can we'll look at it you kind of can by leaving a rating and review of our podcast which helps spread it to lots of different people so that we can get even more feedback Likewise, you can find us on Instagram at uh, Reflections on Gaming. Pretty simple. You can find us on Twitch.tv at Twitch.tv backslash Reflections on Gaming. We stream not only games we talk about like Jack and Daxter, but also other games that we just think are fun and we want to play together and, and talk about with all of you. And finally, you can find us on Reddit. <laughs> it's It's pretty dead right now, but... We hope to grow a community to start talking about all the games we're talking about, talk about the podcast, talk about the Twitch channel, and we just want to make this a growing community for people to talk about their love and passion of, of gaming. So please check out all of those things. And finally, lastly, promise we're done. If you want to support this podcast, we no longer run ads in our podcast because we decided we didn't want to clog up your precious time listening to us talk about the same services week after week after week. So instead, if you want to support us, support us for just the price of a cup of coffee at ko-fi.com backslash reflections on gaming. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But we're still going to do the podcast, even if you don't pay us. Absolutely. It's fun. Um, we really like it. 
But yeah, if you're interested in actually seeing some gameplay, uh, our, our YouTube channel is going to be uploading our gameplay segments from Twitch. But if you want to uh, engage with us, we're going to be broadcasting through Twitter and through Twitch uh, when we're streaming. We are going to be streaming our entire Jack 2 um, gameplay uh, before we talk about it. Uh, if you're in the PAL regions, that's Jack Renegade. Um, and uh, yeah, we're also going to play some other fun stuff like Beat Saber, Fall Guys, and anything and everything that you guys can engage in. Yeah. This has been Reflections on Gaming, and we really appreciate the time that you've taken out of your day to listen to us and stop by. And we can't wait to hear from you, and we'll talk to you next week. Hope you have a good one. And bye. Bye.